morning, everyone. So glad to see you as uh, we all get settled in. Um, again, this is the day the Lord has made, and I choose, I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Um, um, so we have a wonderful uh, service today. We have a couple of guests uh, filling in different roles for us. We have Reverend Shawnee Johnson with us today, who will lead us in worship and our own joy. Howard is going to lead us uh, lead the sermon today. So if you will, join me in prayer for our service. Our God, our Mother, our Father, we thank you so much for the love that you have shown us through the years and into our time here on earth. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and we can count on you being the same tomorrow. So we ask that you continue, Lord, to unite our hearts. We can do nothing without you. Holy Spirit, you were sent to partner with us in life, and we say yay and amen to that partnership and ask you to partner in the service today. Unite our hearts and minds. Help us to be free um, to worship you in spirit and truth. Um, we pray for Joy and for Shani that they would be free in our midst as well. Uh, to celebrate you, your goodness, your holiness, your righteousness, your justice, um, and our deepest desires to lift Christ up and to know the truth and be set free. This is our prayer. These are our hopes in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, and so this morning, again, we have Reverend Shani Johnson with us. Shani and I met um, actually we kind of saw each other in seminary, but then met officially through Keith Wilburn and our time together um, in the worship team, going the worship team at Bridgetown uh, uh, Fellowship out in Cokesville. So um, she is a wonderful woman of the word, a wonderful woman of song. And I know that the Lord is just going to bless us through that. Um, so without further ado, Shani, please lead us in worship. Johnny, you're going to have to unmute yourself. Sorry about that. Zoom is not letting me uh, unmute you this morning. Gotcha. Am I unmuted? Yes. You sound great. Okay. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, just want to start with, Lord, you are welcome. Um, I'm just blessed to be here. Um, I know that it is a rough time in the world right now, and you've already blessed my heart. I've been blessed this morning, just being in the fellowship of Andrew and Dr. Joy and um, Pastor Angel. And one of the things that God is showing me in this season is that worship requires sacrifice, that worship requires sacrifice and that in our pain and our misunderstandings, misinterpretations and everything that's going on, God wants to be here, right here with us in this wilderness. And so, Lord, we just want to invite you here. And then I'll be going into, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, today. Amen. Lord, you are welcome in this place. Lord, you are welcome in this place. Lord, you are welcome in this place. Have your way, Lord, you are welcome in this place, Lord, you are welcome in this place, Lord, you are welcome in this place, Send your anointing in this place. Send your anointing in this place. Send your anointing in this place. Have your way. Send your power. In this place, send your power in this place, send your power 
so much Jesus, for your goodness we offer ourselves to you um i have uh just really some quick um announcements for us uh, we um as you know are having our church meeting directly following the service so please stay with us um it really won't take very long but we just want to bring the church up to date um on some things as well as um having the opportunity to vote for our new uh, council persons. Um, so many of you have already received uh, an email from the church uh, to vote. So that is there in your email, um, just so you know. Next, this is the last day of our church survey. So if you haven't filled it out, if you have a, a, a person that's a member of the church that you know of, and you can ask them if they fill theirs out. Today is the day that we harass one another to make sure we fill this thing out. Uh, it closes at midnight tonight. So folks, I really need this information. It will be so helpful. And there's a particular question on, um, well, too, on diversity and on coming back uh, together after COVID uh, that I really would love to see the answers for. So. Your voice is incredibly important to me. I listen. And if you don't know that already, I listen. So please um, complete your survey. And uh, next, um, I want us just to go have a short 
season of prayer. Um, there's some concerns uh, in our church. Um, Moon, uh, Melissa Grable, um, has some concerns with trying to get her dad uh, um, to move and needs some mountains moved to uh, open that up for her. Um, if you saw my post last night, Kelly Long lost her grandfather um, last night or yesterday. So we wanna hold up her family. Um, Gail Schroeder is transitioning to a new school um, and would like prayer. And finally, our brother, uh, Kenny Ishii, uh, sent word to the Richardsons this morning just before he entered surgery. Um, he was attacked, assaulted last night, and uh, he is in surgery uh, with a neck and spine injury right now. Uh, Andrew uh, is going to, Richardson is going to uh, reach out to the, to the uh, hospital and try to be his, his contact person. Um, um, so he's not alone, he knows that, and so there's information going forward. So let's pray that any mountains that would try to come up to keep Andrew from communicating uh, with the hospital and with Kim uh, would be overcome. So if you join me, please, in prayer. Lord, we, uh, we need you so much. And we are so grateful that we can just say that. We need you. Um, this partnership that we have with you is a beautiful thing. And uh, we are so grateful that we can call on your name in our time of need and know that there is grace and mercy to help us. We thank you that you are moved uh, by the very feelings of what we go through in life, that you, Jesus, have experienced them walking upon this earth and you are intimately aware. And so we lift up uh, Moon and her dad and ask, Lord, that you would bless them that you would uh, move the situation with pays and things so things can be arranged, Lord, that she can provide care for her father and that they can form a, a closer union, Father, and being together um, in the situation that they uh, are working out. We ask for your love and compassion upon our sister Kelly um, and her family as they mourn the loss of their grandfather. Father, they've been through so much but you are, the scripture calls you the God of all comfort. And we have all felt your comfort in our time of mourning and sorrow. And so Lord, we pray that you would surround and envelop this family, that they would have a sense of your presence, that you would bring them uh, together in unity, Father, and in peace, that you would uh, touch and comfort hurt, mourning, painful hearts, Lord and uh, guide them through this time, through this season, Lord God. Um, remember Gail and her transition, Lord, to a new school. Help her, Lord, to um, end well where she is and for everyone who's transitioning in our community um, to, um, to, Lord, again, end well, to be blessing even on the exit uh, from their jobs. And Lord, we pray for favor and grace as she enters into this new teaching uh, position. Um, we thank you that it's closer and organizes things for the home. But we ask, Lord, that you'd help her organize things in her head and physically. And however school is going to take place, Lord, that you would prepare her. The kids she'll have, the teachers across um, the city and the country, and the students as well. As we continue to journey through COVID and life, somehow picks up in whatever ways it will uh, in the fall. And Father, we, we bring before you our brother, Kenny. Lord, um, we ask that you would watch over him. Uh, we ask for wisdom and grace and stillness in the surgeon's hands, Lord, as they work on his body. Um, that you would allow them to see deeper, to know more than the x-rays and all their technical equipment that tells them, Lord, but that you would guide their hands as they operate on Kenny. We pray for the restoration of his spinal cord in the name of Jesus, that every muscle, every vertebrate, bone, whatever, all the cartilage and everything, Lord, that it would come back in place and be healed in the name of Jesus. We ask this. We ask for protection of Kenny, of Kenny, um, 
Father, in the name of Jesus, from any forces, uh, governmental, political, medical, that would come up against him now as he's in the hospital. We pray for peace for him, that he can rest knowing that you have him, Lord God. And we pray that Andrew, Lord, that you would make a way for Andrew to connect with Kenny in the hospital, that people would fall over themselves, making exceptions and whatever to get Andrew in and, and um, allow him uh, to care, be um, our hands, our arms and hugging Kenny and caring for him. This is our prayer, Lord. These are, again, our hopes, our need for you um, to make ways when sometimes there doesn't seem to be a way to give comfort when it sound, feels like there's only going to be mourning and sorrow to calm our anxiety. Lord, we need you. And we're so glad that we can call upon your name and that you hear us and answer our prayers. Our hope is in you today, Jesus. And we bless you. We pray for our sister Joy as she brings the word, Lord God. We pray that you would bless um, her heart and mind. Um, touch her that she's able to think clearly and articulate what you want. And Lord, if, if it's not on the page and you want her to say it, Lord, just speak to her heart and help her to be free for, to be the uh, minister of, the, of this hour. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so, um, thank you guys um, for joining in prayer. It's really, I think it's one of the most important things that we can do as a community. Um, so next we have our sister, uh, Dr. Joy Howard, to uh, come and uh, deliver the sermon for us. Uh, nobody's really big on introductions, but since we have folks that are with us from, you know, all over the world, um, I just want folks to know just a little bit about Joy. Joy um, has been a college professor. Uh, she's a doctor of American literature, if I'm correct. Yeah, you're right. She, um, she is a, a student uh, in life. Um, she has been a good friend and source for me as I've entered into this community. Um, and the most important thing I can say about Joy is that she loves Jesus. Um, she wants people to know him and to love him as well. Um, and um, we are blessed. The community's been blessed with Joy for um, a long time. I think she's been here. I can say she's been here forever, but <laughs> she's been in the community for several years, maybe 10 years or so. How many Joy? Yeah, since 2006. So, so ooh, more. we'll do the math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you all bless her, welcome her as she comes. Uh, let's give her like some applause and we can do it the way folks do it with sign language. Bring the joy on. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much, Pastor Angel. Um, good morning, Mosaic family. I am so glad that you could join us this morning. Um, let's jump right in. Pastor Angel has been leading us through Acts, and I'm going to continue that journey with you this morning. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 3 and the first bit of chapter 4. This is a story about Peter and John healing a man who had a disability, and they do this before they go into the temple for afternoon prayers. It's a story about the liberating power of the Holy Spirit. It's a story that shows us today, I think, how to be Jesus followers and how to speak truth to power. When Pastor Angel asked me to preach on this passage, I had a little bit of baggage that I needed to move out of the way in order to see the bigger picture that I think speaks to us today um, as people around the world continue to protest and march and rally around the issues of police violence in America and systemic racism. The baggage I bring to this amazing story was solely focused on the man who was healed. I've heard many good talks, they were good, about this passage over the years, and every single one focused in some way on the praise and the thanks that the beggar gives to God after he's healed. Be thankful, be open to healing, and then be grateful is what I had learned about this passage. And that message is there, but I'm not convinced that it's the core message anymore. So I'm gonna to read to you 
pay attention to the characters in the story, all of them, and what they do, not just the man who is healed. Look for Peter and John, who are Jesus followers. So let me read to you. It's a bit long, so hang in there with me and just listen to a story. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man who had been born lame was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any gold or silver for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate. They were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and J Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize what you did and what your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling all that the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. So now repent of your sins and turn to God so your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will send, he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for a long restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from amongst your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. And Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you, people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter, were, was, were, Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead and they arrested him. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. The next day, the councils of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Annas, the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me state clearly to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So what just happened in this story about Peter and John healing the poor beggar at the gate? Peter and John who were there when Jesus healed a crippled man on the Sabbath, breaking all sorts of rules, offer this man healing. And since his healing gets so much attention because everyone is headed into the temple for afternoon prayers, Peter and John turned the moment into a mini sermon, or maybe not so mini, it was a little long. They start preaching right there, explaining the power of Jesus, and they get arrested. They have to stay overnight in the jail. And when they're taken to court the next day, they once again turn the situation into a space for a sermon about Jesus. Like I said in the beginning, I think this is a story about the liberating power of the Holy Spirit intervening through two Jesus followers into our broken, dusty, messy life. It's a story of speaking truth to power, even when your message is not welcomed. It's a story that shows us today how to be a church, how to be Jesus followers, how to be Jesus followers that welcome the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's healing into our broken, dusty, messy world. I want to suggest to you this morning that this story in Acts shows us that one, There's an active, outside, boots on the ground, community aspect to following a God who liberates. And there's an internal heart-focused aspect of following a God who liberates. And the external and internal are equally important, but they are different. In order to actively engage the systems of power, like we see Peter and John do in this passage, just stand up to powerful people. And I'll unpack that in just a a little bit. We need to talk about the internal heart change bit first. First John chapter two says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the Father in you. Right now, in 2020, what's especially important for us to understand is of the world. What is especially not from the love of a God who cares deeply about us? I think it's especially important right now that we understand that every part of our postmodern world has been shaped by white supremacy and colonialism. There is not an aspect of our world that has gone untouched by these evils. All of the institutions and systems that make up our daily lives have been shaped by racism and they in turn have shaped how we experience race. The government, the media, religion, the courtrooms, the individual homes, our banks, our waterways, environmental laws, hospitals, prisons, stores, school, you you get my point, every piece of the puzzle. So when we're instructed to not love this world, I think we're being told, do not love the evil things, do not love racism, do not tolerate evil things. Do not tolerate the policies and laws and practices that oppress because they are defined by white supremacy. They are defined 
by oppression. And that's what Peter and John understood when they saw this man at the gate. First John chapter two saying only love what comes from God because God is always on the side of the oppressed. And on one hand, it's really overly simple to lump all of these complex overlapping systems of white supremacy and colonialism into a problem of the heart, to call it of this world, to simply call it sin. But on the other hand, it's quite useful to do that because it's very clear in 1 John that we Jesus followers are supposed to do with the things of the world that keep people marginalized, that keep people poor, we're supposed to reject them. And this is what I mean by the heart work, the internal work that this story of Peter and John and the beggars shows us. There's external work, like preaching to a court full of powerful people, but there's internal work that Peter and John were doing in their own souls. There's internal work that spills out from them when they see this disabled man. What's on the inside matters. A couple of weeks ago, author Glennon Doyle posted on her Instagram account a quote from her new book, Untamed, which I haven't read yet, so I just know this quote. She said this about white women. We are mugs filled to the brim and we keep getting bumped. If we're filled with coffee, coffee will spill out. If we're filled with tea, tea will spill out. Getting bumped is inevitable. If we want to change what spills out of us, we have to change what's inside of us. Glennon Doyle was commenting after we all saw the white woman who refused to put her dog on a leash in Central Park and called the police on a black man who was in the park bird watching. Glennon Doyle wrote this about that particular white woman. She got bumped. Racism spilled out of her because that's what she's filled with. That is what ha happened. If we want to change what spills out of us, we have to work to change what's inside of us. So we need to actively change what's inside of our hearts. And I am especially talking to my white brothers and sisters. We need to actively change and actively because intentions don't create change. We white people cannot intend to be better. Actionable, clear goals are needed. When a coaching client of mine tells me a really vague goal, like I want to do better in my writing this week. I never stop there because goals need to be actionable to happen. We need to actively learn. We need to seek new knowledge. We need to probe our thoughts. We need to reflect and change. And we need to do this actively because white supremacy is a construct. It's not biological or natural like a plant. The system of white supremacy works really hard every day to maintain itself. It takes a lot of work to maintain dominance, to maintain hatred, to maintain power. Race gets created and recreated. It's a story that gets told and retold every day. And that means every single non-white person experiences violence in hundreds of ways every day. We as a church have said that we want to be anti-racist and inclusive. So because John and Peter had learned from Jesus what spilled out of them when they saw a man sitting by the gate was love. They truly saw a man not just as 
one more poor person, not just as one more disabled person, not just as one more outcast, but they saw him as a, this whole creative God made person. That's what spilled out of them. And for us to have that kind of love spill out of us, we need to actively reshape our hearts. We need to reshape our hearts deliberately. We need to shape our hearts in an organized way as people trying to push against the status quo. We have to work just as hard as people who are supporting white supremacy. We cannot go to a protest just once and then tap out and say, yep, I'm good. That's so not going to change deep patterns in your heart. And let me just say, you know, kind of as a side note, a side note for those of you who identify as white, like I do, this internal work is hard. You will struggle and you will want to quit. It's hard to listen to pain and anger and not get defensive. And I admit that, and I am happy to talk to you about that one-on-one, -on -one, anytime you want. This internal heart change work is hard because we are rewarded for leaving the structures of white supremacy alone. And even if we can't see how we've been rewarded for our whiteness because our life has been very hard in many ways, please trust me. Trust what our black brothers and sisters tell us, you have been rewarded. You perhaps have experienced a great amount of hardship, but that hardship was not handed to you because of your skin color. And so we do the hard work. It's quite clear if we look at Jesus and his followers that he did not think it was okay to follow the status quo. He did not think it was okay to allow people to marginalize other people. In this story, Peter and John did not think it was okay to just walk past people and ignore them. We're not supposed to conform to this world. We're not supposed to love the things of this world. And if we're Jesus followers, we do something differently. To change our heart, we need to educate ourselves. Peter and John learned from Jesus. That was the, their education. And it was 24-7. They watched and listened and learned from Jesus. By healing a poor person stuck in poverty, Peter and John were calling out the systems of religious power that kept people like him stuck at the gate's entrance. So read, educate yourself, listen to podcasts, educate yourself, although I will say, please stop asking your brothers and sisters who are Black to do the heavy lifting of educating you. They already have enough work on their plate. We need to stretch and we need to grow and we need to listen. And one of the other things is really on my heart this morning. We need to stretch and grow and understand what it costs black people and other people of color to be part of a multicultural church like Mosaic. We need to be aware of how we make life very difficult for people who are not white. It's difficult to put into words how exhausting it is for people who are not white to decide whether or not to call us out on the racist thing we just did or that thing we just said, but having to gauge what are the repercussions going to be. The emotional toll, the emotion, emotional labor of engaging with white Christians is huge. Our sins and biases and racism cuts really deep because church is supposed to be a safe place for everyone, but it isn't. So 
do the heavy work of learning. Ask another white person for books to read. Ask me. As a former English professor, I literally have pages and pages of book suggestions for you to learn about this topic. And that learning is constant. When I was a professor, I would tell my students that I'm a recovering racist because it is always a process. To be anti-racist as a white woman means every day I educate myself because I live in a broken world where everything is shaped by white supremacy and colonialism and racism. I will never have a moment where I arrive. I will never have a moment where I can stop actively looking for my biases. I have been shaped in ways that I will never understand. But I will continue to try anyways to change the ways we have complete, been completely conditioned to think we need to pray and work with the Holy Spirit. Just like Peter and John did. Work with the Holy Spirit. A prayer that I often pray, it goes something like, Lord, I confess that the spirit, the urges of supremacy are within me. And take that from me, Lord. Heal me. Heal us. Forgive me. Forgive us. We can confess our sins and turn from our wicked ways. And we need to do this every day. That's the internal heart stuff. That's the internal stuff that changes what's inside of us. So when we see someone like a disabled beggar at the gates, what spills out of us is love. Alongside this internal heart change stuff, I think this story shows us what a liberating God does through his followers. I understand myself as a follower of Jesus through a liberation theology lens. And in part, that means that when I read the Bible, I really take note of the ways Jesus set people free. I take note of the ways that God set people free. Liberation theology looks at the ways Jesus included outcasts, women, Samaritans tax collectors, poor fishermen. Liberation theology looks at the ways that those people are included into Jesus' ministry, into his stories. Seeing how often Jesus brings the outsiders to the inside teaches us that our God is a God who is on the side of the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized the dehumanized. Liberation theology as a lens points us to these kinds of questions. Who has the power in this story? Who doesn't have power? What happens when Jesus, or in this case, what happens to when Jesus' followers engage and call out oppressive systems? What does this story say about the people in power? How does Jesus treat people in power? How do Peter and John treat people in power? These aren't simple, simple easy questions. A specific question for this story of Peter and John healing this particular man might be who benefits? from beggars sitting by the gate all day long, day after day. Or in this day and age, we might ask, who benefits from keeping the homeless unhoused? Who benefits from keeping the poor poor? And the simple answer to this question back then and today is the rich benefit. 
the rich and the powerful benefit from unfair systems of wealth, low cost or affordable rent housing doesn't make powerful people the kind of money that they can make on luxury housing. By keeping the beggars at the gate, begging for scraps, it keeps them out of the temple, which I think is where they should have been because it seems quite clear in the Old Testament under Moses's laws that poor people should be provided for. They should be helped by the temple. Keeping the beggars poor and broken at the gate keeps them out of the neighborhoods where the powerful and the privileged lived. We do this. We do this today. We have laws that target the homeless and the poor. Laying down on a park bench here in Philadelphia is illegal. What about the other characters in this story? Not only do the rich and powerful benefit, but there's a huge crowd that Peter and John preach to. And I think the vast majority of the people in the crowd benefited from keeping the beggars at the gate there too. People feel powerful and righteous by giving money to the poor, by being good religious people. They got to perform their charity for their friends at the gate in front of everyone. And we do this. I do this. We post on social media when we donate money to a charity or a campaign. We take selfies when we volunteer to do a neighborhood cleanup. We post lots of photo collages about our short-term mission trip to a foreign country. But Peter and John don't engage in this kind of performance of charity. What do they do? They recognize the person's humanity by looking him in the eyes. Look at us, they say. And the man lifts up his head and looks at them. I found myself yesterday wanting to look away from a homeless woman's eyes. We want to avert our gaze so we can keep moving through our day and not be bothered by the painful truth of our privilege. It's hard to be bothered by the painful truth of oppression. After they're arrested and spend the night in jail, Peter and John go to court. And they, the first thing they say is that it is utterly ridiculous that anyone claim they have been arrested because they healed a man who could not walk. But as Pastor Angel pointed out to me, and I may not be capturing her words exactly spot on, this story shows us that changing the way life is lived makes people mad. You change the way life is lived by the poorest. If you change the way life is lived by the most oppressed, powerful people get really mad. Peter and John made powerful people super uncomfortable by healing someone. They upset the structures of power where the poor beg and the powerful can feel morally superior because they're not beggars. Peter and John call out this abuse of power when they go to court and they go straight to the core of the issue. They remind everyone that they allowed Jesus to be put to death, but he did not stay dead. Peter refuses to engage them on their terms and insists instead of speaking truth and telling the truth on his own terms, on the terms of love, dignity, humanity. Peter breaks the rules when he breaks out into a sermon because that's not the way that court works. When you're called in front of court officials, you don't break out into a mini sermon. But he did it anyway. 
the beggar breaks the rules too. After he's healed, he gets up. He walks and he leaps and he praises God and he makes a beeline for the temple against the rules. If you've previously been unclean, like a beggar, sitting on the ground, asking for charity, you had to follow a really complex set of procedures to get clean again and to get access to the temple again. These procedures included ritual washing, having a priest verify your healing, making a sacrifice with a certain animal, saying certain prayers, waiting a certain amount of time. And then you could enter the temple and worship. These rules benefited the rich and powerful because the rules were so overly complicated that only a select few could follow them and win. So when the beggar jumps up and he goes into the temple, he's breaking the rules. And I'm sure the priests blame Peter and John for that too. But that's a good thing. After so many years of being stuck outside the temple as an unclean person, this man goes inside. And that's what we should want as Jesus followers. We want everyone to be invited inside. We want everyone to be included. No one's stuck out by the gate, everyone inside. That's our job, to include everyone. To change the status quo that hurts people is our job. It's our job as Jesus followers to dismantle white supremacy and colonialism, to speak truth to power, to say, no, no, this is what's actually happening, to speak out and act against systems that oppress people. That's our job as a church that seeks to be anti-racist and inclusive. This is my ask. Join me and do the job. Join me in the active external work of being anti-racist. Join me in the internal heart work of lament repentance and change. So what spills out of us is the love and compassion that we see in John and Peter. As a church that seeks to be anti-racist, I'm asking you to join me in calling out power. I'm asking you to break the rules, break the norms, push against the status quo. As a church that seeks to be anti-racist, I'm asking you to join me in dismantling white supremacy. Join me in bringing everybody inside the temple. Because like we see Peter and John do, this is our job as Jesus followers. It's as simple and it's as complex as that. Thank you. Amen. Well done. That was good. That was good. Thank you so much, Joy, for sharing with us. Um, a lot to chew on. A lot to chew um, I felt like um, we have a very um, inclusive church and it is important for all of our voices to be heard. Um, I want to, I think that was a part of what the church was like in the past and I would um, be negligent if we stopped. We um, are a beautiful, unique community that is growing not perfect, still have much to learn, and we um, are rising to the challenge that's before us. I believe God has called us to do just that and be um, a city on a hill, a beacon, uh, an example, 
not just of, oh, this is great, but this is what it looks like to do the work and to do it well and then to mess up and then how we get back together and love each other and forgive each other and keep going down the road because it's not a perfect journey. I'm so grateful that we have a God who looks at the motives of our hearts and judges us by that. Um, and so we want to deal with the heart, the internal and the external, as, as Joy was saying. So thank you, Joy, for sharing with us. Um, and I uh, just want to keep moving us along because we have that meeting. So thank you. And uh, Shani, if you lead us in worship again, bless the Lord. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, thank you, um, Dr. Joy. Um, I was over here shaking um, and asking God to please hold back tears because I have to sing. Um, so I, my cup is filled with gratitude. Um, and that's what's pouring out of me right now. Um, so I am filled um, in a very good way. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome so We shall overcome some someday. We shall walk in peace. We shall walk in peace. We shall walk in peace. So someday, oh, someday, oh, deep in, in my, my heart, oh, I, I do, I do believe, oh, we shall walk in peace so someday oh god is on our side god is on our side god is on our side so someday Oh, you are Yahweh. 
Yahweh, and you'll free us, and you'll free us, and you'll free us. Oh, and all the glory belongs to you. All the glory belongs to you. Oh, God, said, oh, God, you are our freedom. You are our joy, you are our peace, and so much more. Oh, you are our freedom, and you are our joy, you are our peace, and so much more. And that's why our hearts say, all the glory belongs to you. And all the glory belongs to you. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Said, oh God, oh God, oh God. We said, not glory belongs to you. Yeah, not glory belongs to you. Oh God. We said, oh God. Falling in love with Jesus. <laughs> Falling in love with Jesus, oh, falling in love with Jesus is the best thing we've ever, we've ever done, oh, in his arms we feel protected, oh, in his arms, never disconnected. Oh, in his arms, we feel protected. There's no place we ran, we ran the beat. Oh, we can tell the world that falling in love with my Jesus. Oh, God. Falling in love with Jesus. Hey, hey, falling in love with Jesus. He's the best thing we've ever done. Oh, in his arms, we shall be protected. In his arms, we'll never be disconnected. Oh, in his arms, we will be protected. There's no place we'd rather, we'd rather be. Oh, everybody sing in your living room, falling in love with Jesus. Oh, falling in love with Jesus every day. We're falling in love with my Jesus. Is the best thing we've ever done. No matter how much pain, it's the best thing we've ever Burden. No matter how much suffering is the best thing we bear. Burden. No matter what it looks like, oh, it's the best thing we bear. We bear burden. No matter what they say, you're the best thing we bear. We've ever done. No matter if the sun doesn't shine, you're the best thing we bear. Ever done. For your sun is on the inside. You're the best thing we bear. Burden, oh, you're the best thing we bear. Burden, we love you, Lord. You're the best thing we bear. We've ever, we've ever done. Hallelujah. 
We bless you, Lord. We thank you so much for your love, for your goodness, for the beauty of your kingdom and your call on our lives. You are the best thing we've ever done. And you are the truth. And you unite us in that truth and that protection and that peace, Lord. And so we thank you today as we remember that there is no storm that you won't carry us through. There's no bridge that you can't help us cross, no battle, even this battle of racism that you, Lord, won't help us win. There's no heartache, Lord, that you won't help us let go of. We need your grace, Lord, to let go. Oh, Lord, you are so much bigger than anything we'll face today or tomorrow. And so, Lord, we place the weariness of dealing with racism, the difficulty and heartbreak of recognizing um, our benefits in being a part of a, a white supremacist nation. We bring all of that, Lord, the weariness of knowing how to pastor this diverse church, even in the midst of all my emotion. Bring it all and lay it at your feet, Lord. We know that you care and that you hear us. We know that in you, we're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask. And so we surrender to you, Lord. So when surrender our way, our rights to the structures and the things that have been erected to serve us in the complete community and in the communities of our affinity. We surrender because our deepest desire is to see the kingdom, to allow it through us to burst into the earth and to see change, Lord God, to see change, to do the part of the work that you have assigned us to do. We can't do it without you. Sometimes it seems too big, but we trust you. And so Lord, not only do we lay the burden at your feet, we lay ourselves there. Use us, empower us, equip us, heal us, forgive us. And thank you so, so much for being with us. We will do our best and beyond to give your name the praise, the glory that is yours and yours alone. Not just what our lips, Lord, but in the way we live our lives. To God be the glory for the great things you've done, that you've declared done for us, for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings, everyone. Um, that concludes our service for today. We thank uh, Reverend Shani for being with us and for blessing us. My heart needed it, and my heart needed to hear praise in my heart's language. And you gave, you brought that to us today. You brought that to me, and I'm grateful for it. I need it. I need it so much, especially right now. Um, so thank you, sis. We love you. And we're going to invite you back, so you won't be a stranger. <laughs>